Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. We discovered that Donald Trump apparently knew, maybe even since last year, that Russia was at least alleged to be paying the Taliban bounties to kill American soldiers. Uh, We'll get into that and what that means in just a second. The conservative currency these days is outrage. You know, I want to dig into that a little bit on the program today. It's just absolutely astonishing, you know, everything that's going on. By the way, today is the birthday of Stokely Carmichael, who later changed his name to Kwame Ture. Remember SNCC, the Student Nonviolent Coordinating? I remember SNCC. <laughs> anyway, he would have been, uh, or maybe, maybe he's still alive, I'm not sure. He, he was born today, anyway, in 1941. He said, if a white man wants to lynch me, that's his problem. If he's got the power to lynch me, that's my problem. Racism is not a question of attitude, it's a question of power. And uh, he says that he goes on to say racism gets its power from capitalism, thus if you're anti-racism, whether you know it or not, you must be anti-capitalist. Power for racism, the power for sexism comes from capitalism, not an attitude. Trump this morning tweeted a white couple pointing a gun at a black couple, or at black demonstrators in St. Louis. Over the weekend, he tweeted a bunch of guys in Florida shouting white power, a bunch of white guys shouting white power at protesters. I'm beginning to seriously think, not beginning, I've, I've been you know, dancing around this idea in my brain for three and a half years now, and in fact, I've mentioned it more than once on this program, that Donald Trump is running Richard Nixon's playbook over and over and over again. The whole law and order thing being a metaphor for, you know, white cops beating up black people and basically white supremacy. It's essentially that. And his, uh, oh, very fine people in Charlottesville. I mean, he has yet to condemn any, to the best of my knowledge, any of these white supremacy movements. Is it possible that Donald Trump is trying to promote a war based on race, a race war, you know, what what was referred to as race war or is referred to by the white supremacists as a race war, as a racial war. Is that what he's up to? Does he think, is this his Hail Mary? Was this just a one day tweet in order to try to distract us from dead US service people at the hands of a foreign power? Or is this his playing out Nixon's playbook and strategy. I think you can make a strong argument, and I'm guessing Roger Stone has made this argument to Donald Trump, that had it not been for America burning in 68, American cities burning in 68 after the assassination of Martin Luther King, among other things, you could also look at the 1968 Democratic Convention, you know, a police riot, and you've got that now all across the country police riots. We saw that this weekend in Colorado. Elijah McClain, a young man, a gifted violinist, a gifted artist, used to go to shelters for animals and play for the animals to try and calm them down. 
there were literally some world famous musicians, artists who flew in to demonstrate, to protest, to memorialize him. And the police in Aurora, Colorado decided, hey, let's shoot some pepper balls at these guys. Let's disrupt things. Now, we're finding in city after city after city across the United States, as the stories are coming out, that many of these police departments are filled, you know, surprise, surprise, are filled with fulminating white racists. Does Donald Trump think that he can start a race-based war? And if so, does he think that that's going to be his ticket to getting reelected president of the United States. I mean, at this point, he's got to be in Hail Mary territory. Over the weekend, one of the Fox News commentators was suggesting that Trump might drop out of the race because the polls look so bad, the numbers are so bad. So if you're Donald Trump, what do you do in that kind of a situation? He's coming out and he's saying, oh yeah, this, this whole Russia thing, this is possibly, notice how all the caveats, this is from his tweet, He says, possibly another fabricated Russia hoax, maybe by the fake news New York Times books wanting to make Republicans look bad. Not not him. In other words, he's reaching out to Republicans in Congress. Nancy Pelosi this morning shared on Twitter and in other venues a letter that she has sent to the CIA director, Gina Haspel, and to John Ratcliffe, formerly right-wing crackpot Tea Party congressman, who did such a great job during the impeachment hearings of loudly and angrily defending Donald Trump that Trump put him in charge of national security. And so, you know, is this just a digression? I mean, it appears there's at least one branch of the federal government now, and this may be the bigger story. One branch of the federal government that Donald Trump has been unable to corrupt, at least so far, and that's the intelligence service. I mean, he put his loyal toadies in over at Justice, that's Bill Barr, over at Interior and EPA, both fossil fuel lobbyists, Department of Education, a billionaire hack who hates public schools, Commerce, Willie Ross, another billionaire hack that Forbes magazine called a grifter in an editorial by the magazine publisher editors themselves. He put a former defense lobbyist in charge of the Pentagon. But the intelligence community, I mean, they didn't release this information in a vacuum. And obviously, it wasn't just one person saying, here, New York Times, have a story, because now this has been confirmed by the Washington Post and Rupert Murdoch's Wall Street Journal. I mean, Radcliffe, of course, is going, I don't know what's going on. But the intelligence community is broader and deeper And somewhat, to a large extent, less centralized. You've got intelligence agencies within the Department of Defense. You've got intelligence agencies within the Department of State. You've got standalone intelligence agencies like the CIA and the NSA. I mean, it's scattered. So Trump can't just reach out and grab it by the throat like he can the Environmental Protection Agency or the Fed, you know, with Jerome Powell, the first Fed chair who's not an economist and, frankly, I think certainly in my lifetime but instead an investment banker, right? So watch this space, right? If the intelligence community is now fighting back and saying, okay, we've had enough. This guy is a traitor. This guy is not interested in what's best for the United States. This guy is an existential threat to our democracy. We've had enough. Then this could be the first of a whole lot of shoes falling. What do you think? Jared in Downington, Pennsylvania. Hey, Jared, what's on your mind today? Hello, Tom. Boy, uh, is America great yet? Boy, hey, <laughs> this, this situation is just every day. I constantly just keep saying that. Is, is America great yet? Are we finally great? Yeah, everything's going down the toilet these last few weeks. I want to talk about Trump trying to resurrect the Nixon strategy. And here's why I don't think that's mm-hmm. going to work at all. Well, first of all, do you agree that that's what he's up to? I think he's trying to, I don't know. He he seems to not make it, it doesn't make any sense what he's doing. He seems to go back and forth on different things over and over again. Like one week he's on, like when the coronavirus first started, he acted, you know, like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to actually fight this. And then like one day later, all of a sudden it's like, okay, I'm, I'm going to get back to, Blaming Democrats, blaming China, 
And uh, it's kind of like whichever advisor he talks to most recently, that's who he's echoing. He gets a phone call from Roger Stone. It's like, oh, let's go full Nixon. He gets a phone call from Sean Hannity. It's like, oh, there's a little more nuance to that. Let's do this. And he doesn't have the tenacity, the focus, the attention span to take any of these things and turn them into actual strategies. So he's just constantly throwing stuff against the wall. Yeah, and his mental capacities clearly are not all there Compromise, to, say, shall we say. to be, yes, shall we say. For example, Donald Trump has alienated even the white nationalists. I mean, this isn't something that a lot of people are talking about. But I mean, I see the forums of these you know, white nationalists and they basically feel like they've been betrayed by Donald Trump. And a lot of people aren't talking about this. The white nationalist conspiracy base, they've pretty much already abandoned him in uh, 2020. So I think he's trying to rally some of those people back to the cause because he's trying to do more of these dog whistle stuff. But they're basically saying, like, we don't want the dog whistle anymore. We want basically a full on, you know, bring back Adolf Hitler race war pretty much. Yeah. And so I don't really know what Donald Trump's strategy is other than just whatever his advisors say this day would help him in the polls or who, who knows. I, I wonder if that I wonder if they think win. or if he thinks that being unpredictable and scattered and semi-coherent is actually a governing strategy. I'm just haunted by they thought they were free. Milton Mayer's book where he went over to Germany in the early 1950s and interviewed a bunch of you know good Germans and one of them said, we got used to being governed by surprise. Every single day it was a new outrage. It just seems Maybe. like we're there. Yeah, Jared, I got to run, but thank you for the call. Well, the uh, judge in the first level of objection to Mary Trump, Donald Trump's niece, publishing a book about what a terrible man Donald Trump is, which was filed by his brother, who got out of the ICU where he was being treated for undisclosed condition, just to file this this, uh, attempt at, at enjoining, at stopping, blocking the publication of this book. Uh, the first judge has said, nope, sorry, uh, you're in the wrong court. Ain't going to happen. At least not here. Go to the New York State Supreme Court if you want to deal with this. Huh. Oh, well. Consider for a moment the election of 1988. Mike Dukakis, the Democratic governor of Massachusetts, and generally regarded as a good and decent man, who was not, you know, some sort of flaming liberal. He was somewhat progressive, but, you know, by today's standards, you would consider him a corporate or a conservative Democrat. But, you know, generally regarded as a pretty decent guy. Was running against George Herbert Walker Bush, the vice president in the, in the Reagan administration. Now, everybody's making like, oh, my God, everything's wonderful. Look at this. Uh, Donald Trump is being beaten by Joe Biden by 11 points, by 12 points, by nine points, by 13 points. You know, in all these polls. You know how far Dukakis was ahead of George Herbert Walker Bush just a few weeks before the election in 1988? Just a few weeks. 17 percent. He was totally kicking ass. 17 percent. And then, of course, what happened? George Bush started running ads prepared by Lee Atwater that showed a black killer and rapist, Willie Horton, and falsely lying. I mean, literally lying. Willie Horton had been released under a program that was started by the previous governor, who was a Republican. Michael Dukakis had nothing to do with it. But the ads that Lee Atwater and and George H.W. Bush's campaign put together argued that it was Mike Dukakis, the governor of Massachusetts, who let this black rapist killer out of prison. And of course, he then, you know, raped and murdered a, a young white woman. And oh, my God. And we got George Herbert Walker Bush as president. So let us not rest on our laurels, huh? Let us not think we've got this thing in the bag, number one. Number two, I'm curious 
What do you think is the number one lie that Donald Trump has told out of the uh, roughly 20,000 lies he's told in the last three and a half years? What do you think? What is what is number one in your book? John in Auburn, California. Hey, John, thanks for watching us on Free Speech TV. What's on your mind today? You had Dr. Frank on earlier talking about Adolf Hitler, Jim Jones, what they have in common. What he didn't mention was they were both methamphetamine addicts. Hitler was being injected four or five times a day with heavy doses of methamphetamine. Jim Jones, you can just use your own eyes on that one. Um, mm-hmm. Donald Trump, I believe, uh, there was a, a person that worked. Yes, Adderall, crushed up Adderall. Adderall is one-third methamphetamine. You can hear it when he's at the at the podium and he can't get through a sentence without sucking up through his nose that he's got a packed mm-hmm. nose. Uh, there, uh, people have... People have come out publicly and said that this, he was doing this on The Apprentice. I myself was a methamphetamine addict for 15 years. I can see all the symptoms in his personality. This cannot end well. He's letting people die just for a feeling and a sense of power. There's no way to develop a person into a paranoid, delusional state of self-love easier than with methamphetamine. As things close in on him, his decisions will become more and more irrational. The words that come out of his mouth will become more irrational. Watch him when he's when he's speaking at his rallies. He will be sweating profusely under his upper lip. He is a drug addict. And until that's addressed, nothing can possibly change. Yeah, uh, that's I think all you may I, well be right, uh, I, yeah, he's, he's, after he's, 15 years, I, I know real that I am yeah. right. Yeah, we I, cannot... I, I believe you are, John. I absolutely believe you are. And I think you said it very well. Thank you. Omar in Herndon, Virginia. Hey, Omar, what's on your mind today? Regarding the question about Trump lies, I mean, there's two that I cannot choose from. One, that he cared about this country. And two, that he wanted the presidency, that he wanted to be president. So that's the biggest lie that Trump is living. So right you th- you think his two biggest lies are number one that he wanted to be president. I agree. He didn't want to be president. He just wanted the glory from from trying and barely winning that he could then leverage into a whole brand new career. NBC would pay him more for Apprentice. He could buy a television network, or uh, you know, he was looking at or starting. Yep. He was starting Trump TV, all that kind of stuff. What was the other one? The other lie. The other one, the other one that he cares about this country. He does not care oh, about this yeah. country. Oh, yeah. No, he, he doesn't, doesn't care he about this country. He, he, only he cares care about, about himself, himself and his family. Exactly, his family and just fat, fat in his pocket. But, Tom, what I wanted to ask you about, uh, about the Progressive Caucus, how powerful are they? Can they shut things down when they don't get their way? In other words, is Nancy Pelosi, does she fear the Progressive Caucus? I don't know that the Progressive Caucus has ever... It's a good question to ask, for example, Ro Khanna, who's the vice chair of the Progressive Caucus. Mostly they've tried to, because they are a minority in the Democratic Caucus, even though they're one of the largest, I think they're, they're either the largest or the second largest caucus in the Democratic, among the Democratic Caucus in the House of Representatives. Okay. I still think that they're, they're more interested in trying to play nice. When we win the presidency and the Senate, I mean, we, we need a, a unapologetically a progressive agenda. We just need to back that truck up and dump all the bills in front of Nancy Pelosi office, and let's get these bills out of the way. And, and that's why I wanted to know, do they have the power to do that? And I'm going to email Mr. Polkan also just to let him know. But thank you, Tom. Yeah, they may. Okay, thanks, Omar. Chaz in Lakewood, Washington. Nastrovia. How, how are you on this beautiful day in uh, Trumpistan? I want to talk a little bit about uh, the myth of the violent left. I've noticed that the right gaslights us. Every time they're in danger of having something revealed, they start accusing the left of doing it. And I've come up with the hashtag, tell me more about the violent left. And I've come up with 50, over 50 different incidences where the right is threatening the left in uh, some way. And, and I think mm-hmm. you're the one that said that uh, there's over... 
200 different deaths by uh, right-wing extremists over the last 20 years? Yeah, I don't have the, I don't recall the numbers specifically, but, you know, there have been no deaths from left-wing extremists, to the best of my knowledge. Thank I mean, there, you. Yeah. There was the one Bernie supporter who shot Steve Scalise, but other than, but Steve Scalise is doing just fine, thank you very much. In terms of uh, killings, I don't know of any. And that guy was just crackpot. He wasn't part of a movement. In fact, he was apparently mentally ill. Thank you, Tom. Okay, thank you, Chaz. Good to hear from you. Mike in Lomita, California. Hey, Mike, what's on your mind today? Why Trump would be willing to kill all these thousands of Americans? The answer came right. out of his own mouth when he said that he could shoot somebody in Fifth Avenue and nobody would mind. For a megalomaniac like Trump, having a great big death toll and then prevailing in spite of it is sort of like heaven come true. Another part of Trump's mindset is that he is an, an essentially antagonistic character. There are a lot of people like this who are never satisfied unless they're getting negative attention by making people hate them. And that's what he was as a kid. That's why he went to military school. That's why he carried a deadly weapon, which by the manhood standards of the day was a real disgrace. It was something bad that would get him attention. And that's what the COVID yeah, what you're, what you're describing is. Yeah, what you're describing, Mike, is called oppositional defiant disorder. And you're arguing, it sounds to me, like Trump is actually delighting in the death of all these Americans. I know Lyndon Johnson, those of us who were in the streets in the 60s protesting Lyndon Johnson, believed that he was delighting in the death of American soldiers in Vietnam. We now know from the historical record that he was tortured by it. He would frequently break into tears. He, he, he was praying with his wife about the situation. It was a terrible, you know, Vietnam was a terrible thing for Lyndon Johnson. But Trump is, you know, he's killed twice as many people as Lyndon Johnson did. Yes, but I don't think it's a matter of his delighting in the deaths so much as it is in his delighting over doing something which should have sunk him and still prevailing, as he did all the way through his uh, political uh, campaign. He's, he's able to say that he got away with it. He's thumbing his nose at us. Absolutely. He's a lifelong con man who always had contempt for the people he hoodwinked and delighted in his own great brilliance in hoodwinking them. And COVID-19 right. is another opportunity to do it on a big scale. Yeah, he beat the rubes. Makes perfect sense. Thanks, Mike. Jessica in Hindale, Illinois. Hey, Jessica, what's up? With the COVID-19, hey. I believe it started out as racism, not caring. But now that he has no regard for anyone, including his base, he just doesn't care about human life. But some of the base isn't having it. But I also wanted to answer one of your questions, too. I believe Trump will be in survival mode when he realizes it's the point he's going down. I believe he'll fly off to either South America, Russia, or Turkey, and I don't think we'll know where he went. And he'll be out there, and I don't think... How about, how about Slovenia? His wife and his son both have dual citizenship yeah. with Slovenia. Yes, I don't And his think son speaks wants- Slovenian. Oh, yes. I don't think he wants to serve one day in prison. Yeah, I'm sure of that. Although he may figure that he can hold it off, you know, with constant lawsuits and fighting back. I mean, you know, he's been fighting off, uh, you know, attempts to throw him in jail or hold him accountable for years and years and years. We'll see. Tim in Fountain Hills, Arizona. Hey, Tim, what's up? I've raised four or five kids up through the three-year-old stage, and I've been watching Trump, and it appears to me that he is... He got pegged exactly correctly by Bill Mayer back 25, 30 years ago as a whiny little bleep. Mm-hmm. And I haven't seen any action on his part that proves me wrong. And mm-hmm. I was wondering if you had comments along those lines. And the actual question I've got for you is, in your experience, what worked best to get those kinds of children into line so that they minded their manners. 
Was it fear of the rod? We had a psychologist on a while ago who said that she thinks that Trump is developmentally stunted because he was basically hated by his father and strongly disliked by his mother. He's still stuck in that six, seven, eight-year-old developmental stage, and he's never going to get out of it. And all you can do with people like that, it's really, really hard to repair people like that unless they really want to be repaired. And even then, it's very difficult. Um, so mostly what you have to do is, is separate yourself from them, take toxic, that kind of toxicity out of your life. And that's what we as a country have to do. It's, it, we just have to you know, separate ourselves from him. Tim, thanks for the call. I think you're spot on. So what we're watching here is a childhood psychopathology being played out on the world stage with, with 122,000 dead Americans and probably another 100,000, maybe as many as 200,000 to die between now and the election, certainly between now and January when Trump hopefully will have to leave office. Do you remember when uh, Trump retweeted the, somebody had made a uh, graphic, a meme of Trump playing the violin and he retweeted it with a caption saying, I don't know what this means, but I like it. Steve in Phoenix. Hey, Steve, what's up? I'd like to make an observation here. Yesterday we had a plumber here, and he's gone into some people's homes here in Phoenix, and the people refuse to wear masks. He then says he has to leave because he says, I've had two family members die, so that's how bad it is here. Oh, and one other thing, too. That's terrible. It's been 112 in Phoenix here for a long time. Trump said it was going to die out, the the virus. Um, How hot, just how hot does it have to get for it to die? (laughs) Yeah, three, four hundred degrees, maybe? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But anyways, getting back to Donald here, the legal occupant of the White House. Um, You know, every decision he's made, it seems like, since he came to power, you know, basically benefits Russia and to some degree China, you know. And I I think Mm -hmm. he's... Putin's influence, uh, you know, due to monetary issues. And Putin, you know, he's got a big axe to grind with the U.S. because he blames us for the dissolution of the USSR. And he wants to see us diminished. Look in Turkey when we pulled out, we exposed the Kurds. He's got access to, you know, Syria's deep water port there. Just everything. And all these Americans dying out of all these other treaties and stuff, all it does is ramp up Russia to make them look good, you know? And the number one thing that helped bring down the Soviet Union, in my humble opinion, having lived in in Germany on the East German border for a year back in the 80s, was Voice of America. Voice of America was broadcasting in German into East Germany and in Russian into the Soviet Union, among others. Look at what Trump just decapitated. He just sent a, you know one of his right wing goons in, and they fired the head of the Voice. Trump replaced the head of the Voice, uh, you know, the, the entire network with this guy, and then this guy fired the heads of all the various broadcasting facilities. Oh, and, man, I never realized uh, that. It is incredible. And that was the, the Voice of America was the main reason, in my opinion, why the Soviet Union fell. Because, you know, they got to hear what the rest of the world was up to. Kim in Sarasota. Hey, Kim, what's up? Trump is the super narcissist. And Mm -hmm. he already has power, money. He already has influence. The ultimate high for the ultimate narcissist is to lead people to death against their own God-given natural instincts. He's sending his own people, the Trump people, putting them at huge risk to themselves for his glory. And he doesn't care if they die. It's the fact that they are willing to be that stupid for him. Do you think, Kim, that there's an element of uh, you guys were dumb enough to follow me, you're just getting what you deserve kind of thinking on Trump's part? No, I don't think it is. I think it's truly, I mean... I think he thinks that these people love me so much they're willing to risk death to see me. That's what I Oh, and he's going to make that happen, so he's going to force them to prove how much they love him. He's not even forcing them. They're willingly coming. That makes him even right. more excited. I mean, right. he ha- is controlling people's destinies and it's he doesn't care who dies left or right he doesn't care and i sit there and i watch this and i'm going why doesn't he care well he doesn't and i mean i saw uh, i think john oliver did a little thing on his family members responding to questions about their father and ivanka says well it's uh donald first and everybody's second third fourth and fifth nobody counts but him and I have no 
feelings for the family at all. Be, I mean, I'm sure they're quite screwed up. But sure. it's they're just a reflection on the type of person he is. If you understand the type of person Trump is, you understand what he's doing. There is no why except for himself. I yeah. mean, it's all yeah. about him. I mean, he doesn't care if people die as long as they die in his name, whether it's good news or bad news. It makes sense. Kim, thank you. It makes a lot of sense. Sean in Stamford, Connecticut. Hey, Sean, what's up? Cassandra must have been reading uh, The Dangerous Case of Donald Trump there. She was quoting it almost exactly. It's scary. Um, mm. But something I had just read in the New York Times a little while ago, what's happening on college campuses and how the COVID is spreading among the football programs there. The worst one was Kansas State, where half of all the cases in Manhattan are coming right from the football team and they're having issues in LSU. What was it also? Uh, UCLA. So the mm. whole thing with the spread of this virus is becoming more noticeable in place where we weren't thinking about recently. And now right. let's see how this is going to play out. Yeah, and, and athletics, I mean, this is a real, one of the big problems that all the athletic programs around the country have, including the professional athletic programs, right. is that right. most of these sports are referred to as contact sports, which means you have contact with other people, right? You run exactly, into people, yeah. you bang into them, you fall into them, you try to knock them over in football, things like that, and in the process, you're spreading disease to them. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant-quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman, the two N's, or enter the code Hartman, the two N's, before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity, and what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman, the two N's, or enter the code Hartman, the two N's, before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. 
Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. On the science revolution this week, Dr. Michael Mann with the Earth System Science Center at Penn State University is here on the impact of the Arctic hitting a whopping 100.4 degrees Fahrenheit, the hottest temperature on record for the Arctic. Should we be worried? Professor Jeffrey D. Sachs drops by on COVID-19 reversing globalization and the Toxics Program Advocate with U.S. Public Interest Research Group, Danielle Melgar, is on the show. Why are we ignoring rocket fuel in our drinking water? Tune in wherever fine podcasts are available. Dan in Altoona, Pennsylvania. Hey, Dan, what's up? First of all, I wanted to uh, disagree with the last Pennsylvania caller saying that the white supremacists have given up on Donald Trump. They're actually loving it right now. This is their heyday. I agree. And I'm part of the on- I'm part of an online, uh, you know, um, organization that's trying to shut down all white supremacist groups on Facebook. So I'm seeing firsthand the kind of hate that's coming out of that, and they're mm-hmm. loving it. What I think is happening is I think Trump is going to employ the white supremacists as security whenever he shuts down the election in November. He's going to he's going to say it's the uh, coronavirus, and he is going to cancel the election, and he is going to bring up his militias. To keep order whenever... Well, uh, there are already ways down that road, Dan. I reported on a story here maybe a month or two ago that the Republican, that the RNC, I believe it was, it might have been some PAC associated with the Republicans, but I thought it was, my recollection is the RNC, I'm sorry, I don't have the story right in front of me, but that they were trying to hire or recruit 50,000 poll watchers. You know, this is how William Rehnquist made his chops back in the 60s and ended up, you know, Chief Justice of the U.S. Supreme Court. He would he was a big bear of a guy. He was like six two, huge and white and loud. And he would stand at polling places outside Phoenix in Native American and Hispanic communities and loudly challenge voters. It would scare away people who were in line. And and, you know, he forced a lot of voters this is their strategy. I mean, you just, you know, push them into, into provisional ballots or, you know, I think you're right. I, you know, and I, and I'm, and I'm guessing that the people, the kind of people that they're reaching out to are white supremacists. Yep. And I also think like, and that makes perfect sense about why he doesn't care about coronavirus. He wants it to get out of hand. He wants it to be wildfire all over the country. So he can say, I can't put the people at risk to go out and vote. So we're going to cancel the election. That's a possibility too, Dan, and and one that makes a lot of sense. Uh, you know, you've you've got to ask yourself why would Donald Trump be happy about 130,000 Americans dead when the number could have been five or ten thousand, or even a hell of a lot fewer than that, if he had simply acted back in in uh, December or January or February or uh, you know, or even February when he knew what was coming and how bad it was going to be. Yeah, mm-hmm. Dan, I think that's entirely possible. Dan, thank you for the call, Morris in Long Beach, California. Hey, Morris, what's up? Hey, listen, Professor, if you were at war with the United States of America, your best weapon would be Donald Trump in the White House. This is a sadistic man when you consider the number of deaths of COVID-19. Clarence Thomas once said to the Heritage Foundation, at some point we have to recognize that we are destroying our institution. Donald Trump is dismantling everything about this country. And i like to see this guy get in peace just one more time behind this virus. If you know anybody that's died from this, Professor, you'd be feeling the way I feel. This guy's got to get in peace one more time. He's a... He's evil. He's evil. And he's trying to take this country down with his evil character. He said it well, Morris. Thank you. Azalee in Villa Park, Illinois. What's up? Uh, hi, Tom. I enjoyed the reading. Stokely Carmichael passed away in 1998 and Yana. A couple of people have, have told me that on Twitter. Thank oh, you. okay. Thank okay. you for getting I, I it on the record here on the show. That. I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Sure, sure. About Trump, remember he says he's the war president? Well, we don't see any real war that he has. So I believe that's one of those dog whistles. These people have been wanting a race war for years in that group of people. And I think that's what he is banking on. And if you look at his history, he's the the main guy to start a race war and try to get rid of all the black people and brown people. I mean, that's just his history. Yeah, his dad was arrested at a Klan rally. Right, right. And one other thing, Tom, uh, thank you for letting me say this. They talk about Biden and his gaps, you know, but Biden, you know, when he speaks. Mm. Hey, all they have to do is when Biden makes it to one of those, just say, well, he was kidding. He was, he was, he was making a joke. You have, to, you, have to, you have to meet people where they are. That's where they are. Yeah. So you go there, too. 
So thanks, yeah. Tom, for your show. I, I really enjoy it. My take on that would be to essentially paraphrase Franklin Roosevelt. I believe it was in a campaign speech. In fact, I think it was the one in Philadelphia in 1936. He said, better, and I'm paraphrasing this from memory, but basically, uh, better a government that makes an occasional mistake out of compassion than one that is frozen in the ice of its own indifference. We're doing all these welfare programs. Some people will get missed. Some people will get in fraudulently. But we're trying to do our best, and that's better than just doing nothing and allowing people to die and starve. I would say with regard to Joe Biden, yeah, okay, Joe Biden is not the most articulate guy around. And he fumbles on his words constantly. He's had a problem with stuttering since he was a child, and it, and it shows. I'll take that over a man who is a, a, a racist, a misogynist, a hateful person who, in my opinion, hates this country and is doing, and, and obviously, I mean, actively, you watch this, he is doing everything he can to destroy our country. Literally, agency by agency, putting a fossil fuel lobbyist in charge of the EPA, putting a fossil fuel lobbyist in charge of the environmental, the uh, Interior Department, putting an anti-public school activist in charge of our public schools, putting a guy who doesn't believe in the rule of law in charge of, of our Department of, of Law, of Justice, uh, putting a defense industry lobbyist in charge of the Pentagon, putting a person in charge of the Consumer Finance Protection Bureau who refuses to enforce the rules and regulations of that agency. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. Elizabeth Warren is tweeting about this this morning after the Supreme Court decision. Putting people on the Supreme Court who don't believe in the Constitution. They just believe in the right. I think that Donald Trump fundamentally hates the idea of a multiracial, pluralistic society. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. I think he wants to take us back to pre-1920, when women did not have the vote and people of color had no power. That's what he wants. Carmen in Philadelphia. Hey, Carmen, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. How you doing? Good. What's well, up? Well, in answer to your question, yes, I believe Trump is trying to start a race war. I mean, the writing's been on the wall about this guy since the 1970s when he and his father were investigated for discrimination against blacks. That's when I first heard the name Trump. I call him yep. for Trump. Yeah. I mean, it's obvious he's trying to start a race war. He knows the majority of his base are racist Caucasians. And so that's what he's playing up on. He knows these are the people he can fool the most, pull the wool over their eyes, say anything negative about people of color, and they go for it. Yeah, he's, he's he paraphrasing say, Lincoln. Uneducated you know, Link people. And unfortunately, although there are a lot of racists who are wealthy like he is, or, well, whatever he is, there are also a lot of racists who are undereducated or not well-educated at all. And they believe yeah. everything he says. So, heck, yeah, yeah, he's trying to start a race war. Too, and too bad we don't have leaders, black leaders like Stokely Carmichael or Huey Newton anymore because we definitely need that kind of leadership in the black community. That's yeah. all i got to say. Okay, Carmen, you, you said it very well. Thank you. Thank you for the call, and thanks for listening to us in Philadelphia there on SiriusXM. I think that uh, what Trump is doing is, uh, he, he is a kind of a, a paraphrase of Abraham Lincoln. Lincoln said you can fool all the people some of the time, some of the people all the time, but you can't fool all the people all the time. And Trump has changed that to be you can fool some of the people all the time, and those are my people. Right. I mean, that's, that's just, you know, that's the bottom line. That's what he's having. That's what he's all about. Dave in Federal Way, Washington. Hey, Dave, what's up? Hey, Tom, I'm glad this uh, topic came up about you know, the Russians putting a bounty on U.S. soldiers, because Good. I have been wanting to talk about Russia for a long time. And I have lost the only sort of political family I have, which are liberals, OK, because I end up sounding like a conservative. They're like, wait a minute, why all this warmongering against Russia? Well, here's the deal. It's not warmongering against Russia, all right? The problem is when we started occupying countries, and also George Bush said that we were going to do decapitation attacks, all right? We changed our doctrine. We're going to launch missiles at leaders of countries. 
Russia and China initiated a sort of new phase in our competition against one another. And this thing with Russians putting bounties on U.S. servicemen and women, that's been going on since George Bush was president. The case in point, Chris Kyle, the sniper. If you Google SEAL and sniper, Chris Kyle comes up. Chris Kyle was sent over to Iraq to stop a sniper they called the Russian. All right, that was his code name, the Russian. And if memory serves, that guy, Chris Kyle never got that guy. Chris Kyle was an extremist. He, he, there was no innocent Muslim with Chris Kyle, all right? The guy that ended up capturing the Russian was just a normal, nameless infantry guy from 4th ID, I believe. And the guy was from Kazakhstan, actually. The bottom line is this. Conservatives believe in doing war of choice. Whereas liberals, we all tend to believe war of necessity, all right, war of self-defense. Now, those are very, very deep concepts. But when Donald Trump says John Bolton only wants to drop bombs on people, all right, there is no difference, really, between John Bolton and Donald Trump. The only difference is Donald Trump wants to do war if it will benefit him politically. So in other words, he knew, he knows about Russians trying to put bounties on U.S. servicemen and women. The problem is Russia gives him more of a benefit. They help him more politically. Russian oligarchs have bought over $100 million worth of Trump properties just in the state of Florida. I mean, he made 50 million bucks on one deal with one Russian oligarch. But Dave, I think this goes way beyond Russia. We've got, Seth Abramson lays this out in his book, Proof of Conspiracy. It wasn't just the Russians who were helping Trump in 2016. It was the Saudis. It was billionaire oligarchs from Israel. There are a number of countries that are in on, I, I don't think that they're paying, you know, to kill our troops in Afghanistan, but there's a bunch of them in on this thing. A couple of other things that I want to bring up too. God, there's so much going on. It's incredible. The Supreme Court said to Louisiana, you know, back in 2016, we told Texas that you couldn't shut down abortion clinics because their doctors didn't have admitting privileges from local hospitals, something that, by the way, other surgical practices don't typically have to have, including surgical practices that have much higher risk levels, you know, like dentists. So, you know, they said, no, sorry. And John Roberts was the swing vote, which has got conservatives pulling their hair out. And of course, predictably, Kavanaugh, Brett Kavanaugh, Biff, voted to end abortion in Louisiana. Susan Collins is right now thinking about writing a stern note to him. Uh, <laughs> but so we got that story, but there was a much bigger story that got no coverage at all. That is that the Supreme Court said that, that Elizabeth Warren's brainchild, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, that their structure, because the president can't directly fire the, uh, the chief executive of this agency, that that structure is unconstitutional. Now, they didn't end the agency, but, you know, the law does have to be changed or something has to be changed with regard to this. I haven't read the, the decision yet. But this is the agency that has recovered from banksters in America, $12 billion that was fraudulently taken from people like you and me by our banks and returned the money to us, which is why Republicans hate it. So the Supreme Court, you know, maybe they're getting a little bit liberal on social issues in quotes. You know, yeah, we'll, we'll give you a little tiny victory on DACA. We'll tell you how to blow it up, but here you go. Yeah, we'll protect trans rights, but when it comes to money, when it comes to the billionaires who, you know, pay for the Federalist Society, who help create the Federalist Society, who provide venues and platforms and nice side gigs for conservative judges and lawyers and lobbyists and, you know, screw the idea of bipartisanship or anything else. There's one other thing I want to point out, and I think that this is worth discussing, and that's the phony outrage of conservatives. And the question I'm asking in this context is, what do you think is going to be next? I mean, right now, they're all about masks, right? Oh, my God, they're making us wear masks. It's an infringement on my civil rights. Every, I mean, you go over to rawstory.com or, or basically any, any progressive website, and you'll find video after video after video of these so-called Karens and Chads 
I think they should be called, you know, Ivanka's and Donald's, frankly, you know, entitled white people, selfish, entitled white people, yelling at others about how taking my mask away is a violation of my rights. Well, I remember back in the 1960s, it was the same thing around seatbelts. When, when Ralph Nader published Unsafe at Any Speed in 65, a friend of mine died because his car ran into the ditch. It was a low-speed accident, but the steering wheel went right through his chest. That was like in 1962. And, you know, Ralph Nader came along and we came along and said, hey, how about seatbelts? And, oh, my God, you can't do that. Motorcycle helmets, oh, my God, it's tyranny. Incandescent light bulbs. It's the end of a way of life. The American dream is gone. Happy holidays. Oh, you must hate Jesus. It's the war on Christmas. How about getting rid of plastic straws? Oh, the Trump, the Trump campaign is selling Trump logo straws, plastic straws, because it's tyranny, don't you know? Plastic bags in grocery stores. I mean, it seems like every generation and then, you know, lately every year, Conservatives have a new phony thing to get outraged about. And in every single case, this is on one side, public health or the environment, in the case of plastic straws and plastic bags. On the one hand, public health or the environment. On the other hand, more profits for billionaires, for industry. And the conservative outrage is always helping the billionaires. The bottle bill. I lived in Michigan when Michigan was the first state. This was in the 70s to uh, put a deposit on beer cans and pop cans, pop bottles. God, you would, you would think the world was ending. I mean, there were just pitched battles around this. Of course, being funded in part by, you know, companies like presumably Coca-Cola, certainly the companies that were the bottlers, you know, the companies that were selling and making the bottles. Oh, you're going to make us handle deposit money? We're gonna, you're going to add to our workload? Oh, that's, that's tyranny. So now it's masks. And one of the things we know about masks is that they actually work. Brent in Chicago. Hey, Brent, thanks for watching us on Free Speech TV. What's up? What happens if Trump resigns or pulls out of the election last minute, let's say a few weeks before the election? He hates to lose. And he says, I've done everything for you. I've brought you tax cuts. I've, I've stacked the Supreme Court, etc." Yeah, I've done deregulation, blah, blah, blah. He's, he's, uh, he's happy about that. And he says, I'm going to ride off into the sunset. So the Republican Party has to scramble last minute to plug somebody in. And here comes Mitt Romney riding in on his white horse. And then the next They're thing you know, Biden's Romney. in trouble. In a rational world, that would make sense. <laughs> but I, yeah. A, over the weekend when uh, this commentator on Fox News, and it's somebody I've never seen and, and or heard of for that matter, so I'm sorry, I don't remember the person's name, but that commentator kind of noted that Donald Trump is so far down in the polls, it looks like there's no way he can win. I wonder if he's going to pull out of the race. The blowback against that on the right-wing message boards all over the right-wingosphere this morning is uh, something to behold. How dare you suggest that? So, number one, I'm very skeptical that Donald Trump will pull out. I, I think he's going to take it to the bitter end. Although he has, I mean, you know, six bankruptcies every single time. It was a, okay, I'm out of here, essentially. So, you know, it's not inconceivable. I think if he were to pull out and the party's nominee was not Mike Pence, it would be a huge scandal. And if they put, if the RNC decided to put Romney in after Romney has been critical of Trump, it would so alienate the Republican base that I don't think that the rational Republicans, the few who might be left, the, the you know, the kind of the Steve Schmidt Republicans, I don't think that they're going to show up for that person. They may in small numbers, but not in the kind of numbers necessary to elect them. I just don't see it happening, Brent. I understand what you're saying. Yeah. It just was a thought that I thought I'd get your comment on. I appreciate it. Okay. Thank you, Brent. Good to hear from you. Robin in Kingston, Washington. Hey, Robin, thanks for watching Free Speech TV. What's up? I have been trying to get us progressives and others to basically ignore Trumpsters, shun them. Having debates and discussions with them is really pointless. They're really cast in their ways and thoughts and are unlikely to change. I'm not sure that's true, Robin. If that was true, the almost 50% support that Donald Trump had two and a half years ago wouldn't be 30% right now. 
They're not Trumpsters. You, you, you still, you vote, still have 95% of the Republicans. Are... Uh, I said Trumpsters, okay? And it's right. the Trumpsters that go to the rallies. And I think the best statement that we could make nationwide as progressives, liberals, Democrats, or whatever, is to not go to protest outside any of his rallies and just not show up and shun him. He needs attention. And if we take that... You know, that's what Germans him, did in 1937 when Hitler had his Nuremberg rally. There were no protests, or there were, actually, there were some right, small protests, and those protests were dealt with anymore. We're not in 1937. We have studied the growth of Nazism and all that kind of stuff beforehand. And we have failed this to learn a from it. and a strategy. This is something we basically, in my opinion, should do. The more energy we turn into supporting our own points of view and the positive side of our hearts, and the less energy we use to touch our bad side of hearts and overreact to Trumpsters and this really horrible regime he has created, the more successful we're going to be not only in the fall, but going forward. We should be using our time and energies doing what we want to have happen in our own self-governance and stop just reacting to every Trump's tweet. And yeah, whatever. Robin, that's sort the of like saying, you know, we're sitting here in this restaurant and, hey, the kitchen's on fire out there, but this salad sure is good. Let's talk about the salad. <laughs> I'm not willing to go there, Robin. I'm sorry. Bruce in Austin, Texas. Hey, Bruce, what's up? Let's not forget it's mm -hmm. the religious right that took over the school board and really tried to sour down what was going on in textbooks. Like women with mm -hmm. briefcases was an assault on them. Like it was just horrible what they did, and they're still there. So I was in the middle of that stuff and watched it and couldn't believe it. The pull yourself up by your bootstraps reminds me when Douglas Adams said you learn how to fly by throwing yourself at the ground and missing. And I think maybe mm -hmm. they're just being funny and they don't know it. And that's all I really wanted to say. And, and thank you for the show. I love this show. Yeah, Douglas Adams. Boy, it's been a long time since I've even thought about, uh, you know, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and all that. Bruce, thank you. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. 
The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims Bras at Skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you and uh, Randall in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Hey, Randall, what's up? I was just thinking about, you know, simply it's a, it's a scorched earth policy that he has, and he's only going to ramp up. It's kind of like the guy in Iraq, you know, the same thing, burning all the oil fields. And I know that's, that'll be his uh, final, you know, he's already heating the water up for it. So you think, you know, Saddam Hussein saw that he was probably going to be defeated and he didn't want the oil fields to be available to the Americans. And so he set them on fire. You're saying that Trump knows that he's going to be defeated. And so he's metaphorically setting on fire his followers or just America in general. Anything and everything. He doesn't care. He's going to be scorched yeah. earth. And, gonna, and, and in the meantime, I got a letter here from the HUD for my eligibility for my, uh, my rent credit. We sign, uh, I don't know, four or five different things for HUD when we certify every year. And now mm-hmm. HUD wants us to sign something that lets them all our information, including our Social Security numbers. And if I don't sign it, I uh, lose uh, the possibility of keeping my rent. Wow! So, so you have subsidized housing, Randall, and now they're saying that they want to sell your, they want to give your information to for-profit companies. Is that the deal? I mean, what's yeah. up to here? What's what's yeah. Ben Carson basically, doing? Basically, uh, it does say there's a privacy act statement here, but they already have all the information. But now they're basically right. it's a catch twenty two. They're asking for them to be able to look into. All my uh, records directly, not indirectly through uh, the uh, management here. Or the oh, they're, they're looking for people. They're, th- this is under the rubric of stopping fraud. They're looking for people who might be, who right. might have subsidized housing and yet have a million bucks sitting sit in the bank someplace or something like that. Yeah. Oh, that's they unfortunate. Are, they, already have all the protect- they already have all the protections for that. This is just, uh, I think this is a, a catch-22 where you're giving them permission, or Donald Trump permission, to uh, scrutinize you, uh, you know, right. even more. No, I got it. Or, or maybe, I got it. Randall, maybe, Randall, good luck. Good luck, and thank you for the call. Uh, Dale in Raleigh, North Carolina. Hey, Dale, what's up? About the coronavirus, I heard President Trump say that President Obama didn't leave him anything to fight the virus with. Now, we know the Obama administration went over a six-some page plan for how they fight the virus. Now, I understand that President Obama couldn't get the, the stuff he needed because Congress wouldn't pass it. Mitch McConnell, the Senate, rather, blocked it, wouldn't get him the funds. Now, if you, as Donald Trump, know it could be a virus, why didn't you not go to Mitch McConnell and say, look, I understand why you didn't get Obama the money. You don't like him. I don't either. But go ahead and give me the funds so I can get this stuff in place just in case they're telling the truth. Now, the fact that he didn't do that tells you everything you need to know because he could have done it. He's been president for three years now. Right. So, so why, Dale, like, did he know, not do it? Well, well, I think he was so, so, so motivated to get millionaires a tax break that he didn't think about that. Yeah, so he had other agendas, so that fell on the back burner. And then by the time he realized there was a problem, he didn't have the, the equipment in place to fight the virus. Tax breaks, deregulation of companies that pollute the air, the water, the food. All these things were first on his agenda. In rid of Obamacare. See, all these things was his top priority, so he forgot about yeah. the plan of the pandemic. Yeah, and building his wall and deporting, you know, uh, people with brown skin and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, Dale, I, you know, spot on. And and watching Fox News. He's got to have, you know, six, eight hours a day of watching Fox News. Kevin in Durham, North Carolina. Hey, Kevin, what's up? I think as an African-American, I think a lot of this is about race and politics. You were talking earlier about how the way we look at this virus kind of changed after all the reports came out about how it was disproportionately right. affecting after, after April, April 7th. Of color. And I keep thinking about, you know, what Lee Atwater said back in the day about dog whistle politics and about how at the end of the day, it's about hurting blacks, blacks get hurt worse than whites. 
And I think a lot of this does that. I mean, you look at Trump's whole campaign in 2016 was about race and immigration, and you look at all the voter suppression that's going on. I mean, I think a lot of this is about race. And, you know, you, Stephen Miller is his chief advisor. And, you know, we know all about him and how he views race and immigration. So, you know, it doesn't surprise – nothing surprises me with this guy, but I think a lot of this is about race and politics. I think you're right, Kevin, and I think one of the big pieces of evidence of that is Trump's, uh, the selectivity of who Trump goes after. He is married right. to an immigrant. He has been married to two immigrants. He is married to an right. immigrant whose family came to the United States and got U.S. citizenship through, quote, chain migration. And then he goes out and just nakedly attacks immigrants and chain migration. You know, a rational person would say, but wait a minute, what about your wife and her parents? And his answer is, I mean, he's not saying it out loud, but the answer is they're white people. You know, I mean, that's you know, well, so it doesn't count. He wanted more people. He said he wanted more people coming from Norway. You know? That's right. In his asshole country money? comment, he said, why are we getting people from these asshole countries? I want more people from Norway. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Kevin. Kevin, yeah, it's it's not it's not like it's a secret. It's 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 uh, hiding in plain sight. Kevin, thank you for the call. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 